This is the Take Your Meds podcast, your safe space to explore how you can brighten up your life from the inside out. We're diving deep into the different medicine millennials take to turn their light on. Season one gives some insights into how you can navigate your quarter life crisis and find the confidence to be your authentic self. On this episode, I sit down with the inspirational Rachel Kelly. Listen in to hear how grit turns into medicine. So kia ora everybody and welcome back to the Take Your Meds podcast. I have a very, very special human being in the studio today. Rachel Kelly is first and foremost, I think, a mentor for me and an absolute muse of a woman. She is an inspirational human being who I think just has her light on. She shines bright and she isn't afraid to speak her truth and live it out. And I think she's done some really amazing things in different spaces and places despite the odds. So Kia ora and welcome, Rach. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on this podcast. I'm so excited to dive into this. And actually, for everyone tuning in, we were just sitting with a reading, a card. We pulled a card and there was a moment and I was just like, oh my gosh, we need to start recording. (laughs) So we have just pulled the card, which is Answer the Call from the beautiful Rebecca Campbell deck. And it's all around what is your soul calling you to do? And as I asked Rach, you know, like what's coming up for you with this, you started to speak to a quantum leap. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> pause. So what does a quantum leap mean for you? What is what is this card bringing up? Mm. So I first learned of a term called quantum moment. You can call it a quantum leap as well. But uh, the quantum moment, as it's being described to me, is um, a moment. There might be multiple in your life, but it may only be one. But it's a moment in which every type of fixed paradigm you might have had in your life suddenly is shaken up like a snow globe. And if you can imagine the quantum moment, it's like a snow globe. You're sitting there, something sitting there, the source, the universe, whatever energetic source from around us is literally shaking this snow globe vigorously and every piece that you thought was settled starts to just rain down in this chaotic format and you're left trying to pick up the pieces or assess the pieces from where they were to where they lay you know in that in that kind of chaotic form and who you were before the quantum moment will never be again after Mm. Mm. Well, okay. <laughs> Some pretty big stuff. <laughs> yeah. What have quantum moments looked like and sounded like for you in your life? And how have you known that this is not only a space where everything's going to be shaken up, but a space where you know everything's going to be, re- be rebuilt? Mm. I mean, I think at the end of the day, almost the definition of a quantum moment is that you can't predict it, for one. There's there's simply no way you could fathom the fallout for a specific decision. And it is either an event or a decision that is so unlike the version of you before to make that when you make it, again, just by making it, you're a different person. Mm. So... Again, there's only maybe one or two, if you're lucky, more quantum moments, I think, in people's lives. Um, But it is a profound event and it changes the course of your future forever. Mm, Powerful. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people listening, they may be experiencing one of those moments or many of those moments at once. Mm. What's been really grounding for you in those experiences of kind of everything you know going up in the air and space being made for the new Mm. what's supported you through those times there I can't explain it completely and a lot of these beautiful moments are you know are sourced from the unexplainable and um, I can give you an example of uh, one of my quantum moments which was the day that I decided to leave my ex-husband 
And there was not only obviously a huge amount of fear and uncertainty around the future, but there's also an absolute knowing that I was not alone, that something Mm. was calling me to make a different decision because I had stopped listening to not only self, but I guess the energy around me um, that when I started listening, when I started finally saying yes to myself and started to listen to both self and the energy around me that I was like, I've been unplugged for so long Mm. and all I hear is a screaming urge to make this decision that it was suddenly impossible to not make the decision. Mm. So yeah, it, it was an unusual experience where there were many indicators or nails in the coffin, so to speak, that made me realize that I was sacrificing self. I was becoming a martyr. Like I was sacrificing self for my children and dulling a light in me that I could no longer tolerate dulling mm. in, in the process of realizing that the decision must be made, just when. So it wasn't whether or not that decision was if, it was actually when. when. Wow. And then the timing, the universe works in a really, really beautiful and strange way, but Usually if you're paying attention to it, there's enough there's enough events and little serendipitous kind of triggers that make you think, this is more than coincidence. Mm. This is a divine intervention mm. and I would be remiss not to listen and do something about it. Mm, wow. The courage and trust in that as well. Mm. Like... That's really huge, I think. Where do you think that you were able to find the strength and the courage to make those big leaps? I think I just reached rock bottom. You know, when you're just at that point of absolute depletion emotionally, soulfully, mm. where you your your very essence is crying out for help. And I guess the point where it's almost like there's a part that, doesn't break inside but it it clicks and suddenly you find yourself I either need to trust and surrender to the universe and a bigger power that seems to be orchestrating some of these sequences of events or I'm actually going to die with these decisions like as in I will never reach my potential I will never become who I'm meant to be and there's this there's a switch that goes off that basically I found urged me to just sur- completely surrender to the universe. Wow. So I call my universe, you know, that, that conversation, that's my source. And whatever you, whatever your belief system is, whatever that construct is, for me, it's the source. It's this beautiful lavender plasma, energetic energy that flows above, around, through in me and others. And, once, once I actually surrendered deeply, like took all of my armor off, um, stripped bare, unzipped out of my skin, whatever you want to call it, and just said, I'm here, I'm with you. Let me serve the big purpose you instilled in me from birth and prior to birth. Mm. Let me see the path that I need to see ahead and let me be the person, the human that I need to be to breathe into the purpose you have bestowed upon me. Wow. Holy moly. That could be like a prayer, a daily prayer. Mm. And it's a scary prayer. Holy it moly. is terrifying to unzip yourself. Everything that you know to mm. be true. Yeah. But was causing you a level of pain and suffering. Oh, there's an immense pain. Like yeah. if I if I think about everything that led me to that quantum moment, it was an enormous amount of pain that I had tolerated or bottled up inside that led to me to believe that, again, if I didn't make the, the change right now, I would dull my light and it would be, it would be so sad to know that my light had been dulled, that I was not born to or was not able to be able to actually, um, 
share the light or to, mm. to sit in the light, then it just felt like it was absolutely wrong for me not to be able to do that. Mm. Wow. Wow. That's, I'm just having a bath in that. That's pretty huge. <laughs> That's pretty transformational mm. to be able to find the conviction to follow through with that as well. Mm. Um, I'm really curious, how does that play out in a world of achievement, in a world of productivity, in a world of titles and accomplishments? What does it look like to have your light on? Mm. What's the difference between where you were before and where you are now when you look at the way that you interact with the world? Mm. Well, as a part of the unbecoming that ensued after the quantum moment, the unbecoming of everything I was that was I was never meant to be in the first place, but that unbecoming, I think you call it something different. You've got there's a different word you've used in the past about unbecoming. Remembering? I'm not too sure. I'm going to think about it. Mm. I'll remember it later. But um, as a part of the unbecoming process, I was able to identify when I was looking outside of myself for acceptance. Mm. And in the process of absolute radical self-acceptance, I started to see the difference. And a part of that, I mean, I've documented an enormous interest and interestingly um, bizarre journey in a a, a reality distortion field in my Unmasked Executive series uh, where I was essentially, I felt like a beaten dog so much that my confidence was on the floor to the point again, that, that quantum moment where you're so low that you can't possibly think you go lower, that you have to make the decision to suddenly unzip surrender and then actually say maybe everything that I've believed about myself is wrong all right but how do I know the difference and does it really matter like belief doesn't mean it's true Mm, that's not the same thing yes this is an important (laughs) conversation yeah Yeah, and so and there's also helpful and unhelpful beliefs Mm. so a helpful belief that's not true is still helpful if it doesn't hurt anybody, you know, so, um, but an, an unhelpful belief that's untrue is worse because mm. then you're just feeding yourselves lies, mm. you know, even, and it's not helpful. Like it's not helping you, um, grow or be better or make good decisions. Mm. Um, but I digress on that, on that point, but, um, regardless understanding that suddenly, all of the titles, all of the accolades, all the validation was nothing compared to the journey I needed to be on for self-realization, self-acceptance and self-love. Mm. I'm still on that journey right now. But if I look at myself now than I was a year and a half ago, two years ago, I am, I've basically shed that old skin mm. and literally and figuratively and now to the point where I don't wear makeup mm. I haven't not worn makeup to cover my acne and acne scarring since I was 17 18 wow. and I had my first big board meeting um last week and I didn't wear makeup and I because mm. I'm on the the journey of not only healing myself through my through my body and my mind because they're all interconnected mm. and you know each of us has the most powerful tool to heal and it's our body and mind and soul. And so I'm using all those things as well as science. So I'm a geek at heart. So I'm looking at all of the, the, the data as well. But alongside that, I'm also looking at the soul food, right? For me to love myself, I need to be able to unmask. I need to be able to rock up to these big meetings and sit next to national icons and not wear an ounce of makeup mm. and be okay with it. For me, that's a big deal that's just because huge. of my, my own little journey there. But um, that's a part of my, my reckoning f- towards radical self-acceptance. Wow. Holy moly. Okay. There's so much in there, Rach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about soul food. That's really resonating because we've got an awareness, I think, 
as a collective that there's like good foods and soul foods for Mm. us to be eating and high vibrational food and we know that we can move our body in different ways and there's like body food whether Mm. that's dance or movement or yoga or whatever it is soul food what is that what does that look like for you are there any like rituals that you have that enable you to nourish your soul and reconnect with your soul Mm. So I think when I think of soul food, I often think of the the word listen, to listen. And the reason why I say that is, you know, I do a variety of practices to try to unlock my potential, whether it be, you know, physical, mental, um, and then there's a spiritual journey as well. And a lot of that comes to me through meditations um, which you might consider as mind or, or mindfulness, but I, I've gotten to a point in my practice and there's a couple of meditations, which I call my Jumanji meditations. Like you do not open that box unless you're ready for some pretty big things changing. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, but that was one of my, one of my profound things that I used during the quantum moment that just changed everything. That's why it is the Jumanji meditation. But, um, through those practices and the, and the consistency of, trying to command and also surrender to mind and soul, I've found that when I get into my heart space, when I literally fill my heart space with this warm light and just sit there, then my soul is joyful, Mm. right? And I, I call my soul a wisp. It's kind of like, you know, that movie Brave have those little wisps that, Mm. you know, and and in my mind's eye, that's what my soul looks like. And, um, and so when I'm in this place of just absolute love, open heartedness, surrender, you know, radical self-acceptance, I often get there, you know, when I go floating in, um, you know, with the float clinic, or if I'm really deep in some type of meditation, but I'll be in this place where I become outside myself Mm. and, my soul is joyful, it's light, it's, it's hungry for me to listen, and I just give it space. And in those moments and when I connect with source, which is where I get my biggest soul food, is where I connect with my source. And sometimes it's a he, sometimes it's a she. It's got kind of a merging of these energies and genders and it's gotten to the point in my practice where I'll be in the tank. And this is just was another profound moment. Um, and I suddenly felt connected to every living thing in the universe. Whoa. Like there was suddenly, I was no longer myself. I was spread across through energy, through quantum physics, entanglement, whatever you want to call it. And suddenly felt like I was one with everything. And in the moment that I felt one with everything, I was so shocked of the the profound sense of like it was it wasn't power, it was aliveness mm. and vibrancy that I shocked myself awake, right? Like I, I was having this vision and this feeling and just this magnificent moment. I shocked myself awake. I'm like, whoa. What was that? Where the heck did that come from? And I was like, I said to Source, I was like, that was incredible. Can you show me more? And then in that second of me feeling like I was suddenly really greedy to see more, I was like, no, show me when I'm ready. Mm. And so. Wow, the awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the salt. So for me, soul food is this place you go that sheds yourself of physicality, it sheds yourself of an understanding of time and space Mm. and puts you in this place where suddenly you become so much more and your soul can play with the effervescence of the universe and the source and everything in between. And that type of experience and continuing to have similar experiences like that, as you continue to, you know, as I, as I find as I continue to uh, hone my practices means I become less attached to everything else and more aware and attached to the bigger stuff. Mm. And that's where the soul food, that's where it comes into me, you know, for me. 
Wow. The, the peace and the freedom that would come from that too, like low attachment to the day-to-day, you know, high vibe connection mm. to the bigger picture and how you're going to be of service. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not, not a, it's, I'm trying to think about the language. It's about not being attached, but being incredibly grateful. Mm, right? right. Incredibly grateful for the lessons, the opportunities, the, the flow of space and time. And instead of attaching yourself to it, you can observe and find joy in it while being jarringly grateful and filled with love for what it's there to teach you. Mm. Wow. Wow. I feel like there's like 20 podcasts in this <laughs> one podcast. <laughs> there's so many places we could go at this point. Wow. Okay. Tuning into that space and time where you're going through that quantum leap. And I think for a lot of people listening, they're going to be potentially navigating some kind of quarter life crisis. What would you say for you has been really medicinal in those moments of putting a foot in the new space as you've got a foot in the old space and really trusting that the foot in the new space, you'll eventually get both feet over there. Mm. So for me, I can only speak to, to my experience is when I had one foot in one and the other foot in the other space, again, about listening and being aware of new opportunities. And what I found profound is the people I met along the way. Once I said yes to myself and started to say yes you know, to the universe, let's go. Again, the serendipitous meetings of other people or places and making sure if there was an event coming up or if it came across my desk or I saw it then and it piqued an interest and it got me a bit excited, then I said yes to that too. And then as a part of saying yes to those things, I met new people that were thinking at different energy levels, different different perspectives that I found helped me along my journey and I would say that it is by the process of entrusting the source, the higher power, whatever, with a divine intervention, divine purpose, that every single time it resulted in something I could not have predicted, a person, a saying, a, an action, a trigger, that I was like, huh, you knew all along. Like, you've been planning, universe, you've been planning this all along. I can see that now. Wow. And um, there was often times where I said, you know, hey, source or hey, universe, I can see how you are five steps ahead. Hmm. And it's by saying yes to those various things that popped up and it felt intuitively right to attend or to do. And it, it felt aligned with my my substance, my character. So it wasn't like, you know, weird events or things that were unusual for my character to go to. Um, but that by listening and going to these things that there were sequence of events that I just I just could not have seen how would otherwise be put into play. And Especially yeah. as a strategist, like someone that is thinking, you know, like you're an innovator, you're a bridge builder, you're a, you know, futurist. That must be really interesting to reconcile. Oh, so, <laughs> it's so hard. Like I love quantitation. Give me ones and zeros. Give me proof. Mm. I want to know why and I will usually drum down like a Rottweiler into like, oh, what, how did this happen, right? And I like control. That's one of the interesting things I've learned as long, you know, with things about my character and, and the belief construct I've had since as a child to overcome, you know, things in, in my life is one of the things I, I like control. And so to to <laughs> become to become who I am now there was a process again of letting go of surrendering which is incredibly uncomfortable for me but I I have to I have to acknowledge that quantum physics for example has the most remarkable discoveries of like space and time which 
I, I cannot comprehend. Mm. Right. So my, so my, so my quantitative brain is like, I know quantum exists. I know energy exists. I know there's a way for energy to talk from one kilometer to 10 without anything in between that we can see. And so that my scientific brain says, I know that exists because they've proven that they've proven that, you know, small particles of energy can communicate miles apart. And so I have to surrender to the fact that even though I don't understand it, I don't understand how I know, I know it does. I know what, Mm. and even though I don't understand how I have to be okay with not knowing that, but just trusting that it works. Mm. And it is the trust and the, the observation that it does work that proves to me the surrender is okay. Beautiful. Beautiful, profound insights. And it sounds like you're somebody who creates space between your experiences. I'm curious to understand what that looks like and sounds like. You've said the word observe a few times, you know, like what is your practice of observation and of reflection and of integration from your experiences that you've been having, both quantum and in the day-to-day? Because there's often magic in the day-to-day too, if we look. Oh, hands down. Yeah. I think the biggest um, thing has been how I've been able to share my lessons with my 10-year-old, right, which Mm. is kind of probably explaining this particular circumstance or conversation with my 10-year-old probably describes that reconciliation or, you know, just trying to figure out how do you, how do you observe? And it's come to the point where if you can create more gap between a trigger and a response, then that period of observation is where you get the insight. Mm. Right. Mm, Yes. This is so important. This is a very, very important message, everybody. (laughs) And, And literally insight right? You're in the process of triggering. Mm. You're about to respond. And in that moment, you've got sight, you've got clarity over the truth or why insight, right? And so in that moment of insight, and as you become better at this as a part of your mindfulness practices or whatever you know journey you're on around commanding some control over the, the gremlins in your mind, mm. as you, as you, tweeze that gap out and give you more space to reflect and observe there's so much power in it Mm. they could and and then being able to be around people that you can say oh that really triggered me and I don't know how to respond Mm. to the trigger and then being around the people that help you say huh okay tell me more right Mm. so you can have champions with you that you can have these authentic guttural conversations around whatever triggered me. I don't know what to do with that. And I don't know where it came from. And what I want to do right now is bite your head off. Mm. But I don't know why. And I need your help to figure out why. And then how I'm supposed to reconcile that new why mm. <laughs> with how to respond to you right now. Mm. Yeah, this is really important because I feel like definitely what I've noticed within a lot of young people, millennials, young adults, is that there are, there's an opportunity for us to reframe how we interact with triggering situations. Mm. And it's not always the case, but it's something I've definitely noticed within myself is I actually don't have to respond right now. Mm. I actually get to choose to create space between my reaction and my response. And even the awareness of that as a concept has brought me so much peace and I haven't had to do so many restorative (laughs) conversations Mm. because I'm actually just being in the discomfort and noticing that maybe there's some limiting beliefs come up. Maybe there's Mm. some stories coming up. Maybe 
um, I've been really activated in my body by something that they've said. And that's actually more often than not, it's a space and an invitation for me to go inward and do some self-healing mm. and to let that emotion be processed through my body that perhaps hasn't had a chance to be processed before or to think about how I might engage in a conversation, like you say, where there's a bit of a dialogue mm. and you're actually building meaningful connections with someone in that restorative process as well of like, this is what I'm noticing. Mm. What do you think? How is this coming across? I'm noticing this within me. And being able to journey with someone on that. I'm curious about what that practice has looked like you know, what would have been your go-tos right at the start of that versus where you're at now in terms of how you interact with a trigger? Mm. So my default behavior around being triggered and, and having that sort of observation period was I would immediately either go to a victim place internally. I wouldn't show it. Mm. I go to a victim place and I'd say, what did I do wrong? Or how is this my fault? Um, and you know, I might, I might stuff the emotion down and respond how I'm supposed to respond, mm. how my, my, you know, parents or how I was being brought, you know, raised, how a, a, a polite, smart little girl might respond. Mm. Um, and that's where I used to be. I used to stuff a lot down, um, you know, a very controlled person for the most part, but then a lot would be stuffed down and, um, so I already had a gap. It was just a really dangerous gap because in that moment it would be like a push down process internally wow. yeah. all the way to, to now where, um, as I mentioned to my, my before on my son is helping to share, to share this place where something happens, you're triggered. The trigger comes from a belief in which you may or may not be aware of but the, the key is to see it. And if you're with someone who you can share it with, share it. Mm. If you don't feel safe to share it, then put a pin in it. Answer how you feel it's appropriate to answer. Because, again, if you're not in a safe place, don't expose mm. yourself if you're not in a safe place or yes. safe people. Respond, you know, obviously what, how appropriate. And then make sure you come back to it. Because there's an interesting um, technique or thing that I've I've learned over the last year. There's a couple of really powerful ones that have helped you know, my 10-year-old as well. And that's when we grow up, obviously, as a part of making sense in the world, things happen and you get these beliefs, you know, belief constructs that you might be, I'm not worth, I'm not worth it. I'm not enough. I'm, I'm unloved. I'm inadequate like whatever those those things are that are your beliefs and they may be hidden or may they, they might be um, fairly obvious to you but for as long as you have that belief it's like you're writing it on your hand you know your palms if you imagine writing a sharpie like for my, my for example is um i'm not enough or i am used so i am used mm -hmm. is a good one particularly around my relationships with both men and women is i you know in this exercise you'd write i am used with sharpie on your top of your palm not on the back of your hand, but the palm. And say you have a person, um, you imagine a person sitting in front of you on a seat. It might be a man, it might be a woman, it might be an animal, whatever your belief construct is. And um, imagine that you're sitting there looking at that man. For me, I'll say a man. Um, you're looking at that man. You've never met that man before. He's a stranger to you. Now look at that man, but then put your hand in front of your face. What do you see? And it's the hand you've got written on it, I am used. So when you say, okay, what do you see? And you say, I see my hand and it says, I am used. Okay, can you see the man in the background? Not, not really. Mm. So, so you see, I am used, yes. So when you look at that man, you will always see, I am used. Regardless of who that man is or what he does, he might be the most amazing man in the world. But for as long as that hand is in front of your face and you're reading, I am used, you will only see I am used. You will never see the man in front of you. And so as a part of 
a healing journey, you literally need to learn how to, and you physically do this as a part of the healing journey, is you push your hand away from your face and you see the man. Mm. And you do that exercise for as long as you feel that's a part of your your truth. Mm. And yes, there's more to work through in that. Obviously, there's parts of you that still lives in that place where you feel used. Mm. And so it's taking a look at those parts or that part that formed an armor around your heart that says, I am used, to give that part of you space to feel the pain of feeling used, mm. to actually allow it to grieve. Mm. Because for as long as you ignore that part that feels used and you don't give it the space to feel used and feel listened to, feel grief, feel resolution, it will always be there. Mm. And it will, will always be there, but it's just, it's just in whatever way it'll sit there. It might be a little trigger, but maybe the hand never comes up to your face. Maybe it's like, oh, there's a little mm. guttural movement of the hand that says I am used, but it's like, actually, no. I know what the boundary, my boundaries are. I know what being used looks like. Mm. I have faith in my ability to recognize that now. Mm. You don't need to be my lens right now. Wow. Oh my God, Rachel, that is so profound. I've never heard it framed like that. Mm. It's when you're actually in that space of feeling I am used, like, you know, there's, there's techniques you can just really get into that place, which is hard. It's so hard. And, and I've had like tears coming down my, my face. Mm. I'm feeling about the moments in my life where I felt used, um, whether it's emotionally, physically, whatever it might be. Um, and seeing that on my hand and, almost having discussed that it's sitting there, it's on me. I want to, I want to pick it off, right? Like it doesn't belong there. I'm not this person. I'm not this thing. I don't deserve this. Mm. This whole process of this cathartic process of purging. Yes. And then the process of moving your hand out of the way that has just profound impact to the new grooves in your brain. Um, oh. But it, again, it's not until you face it and you, you honor the place that it, that it sits, honor the part that still lives there mm. and then and then actually accept it that you can kind of be removed enough to observe when it happens mm. and then make different decisions. Wow. And then the way you're going to interact with the man is going to be so different mm. because you've got your lens off. Yes. That's huge. That's deeply profound and hugely healing. If this is feeling good for you, I really want to encourage you to pick up and try on this practice. This is a really beautiful gift that you've shared with us, Rachel. And I, yeah, I'm really, really present to the transformational change that can happen with this, not just being some audio you're listening to, but some... Uh, time and space you put aside for yourself to recognize and observe the lens or the glass that you might glasses you might have on and how they're going to Im be impacting how you're interacting with the world and, and what in the world triggers you as well and mm. through what lens yeah because we all have our lens right or lenses and yep. I think having someone that you can actually talk to about this stuff to actually be open and vulnerable um, is is a really important part of this journey. And Beautiful. not everyone has a friend like that. But again, if you start to be aware of those opportunities to meet new people mm. and, and actually follow your intuition around who you want to have in your life. And I've actually been to the point where I've literally written down in my journal who I want my best friend to be, mm. like what, what are the characters of them? How do they behave? What is acceptable to them? What is an example of how they respond to me in a certain circumstance? So when I come across someone that suddenly seems to weirdly tick those boxes, you're like, whoa, how did you use that particular word mm. that I wrote in my journal? Then it's, it's almost ensuring that the universe is giving you a really clear signpost to trust. Beautiful. And especially when you've been hurt in the past, mm. you know, building that trust again to get out there and like meet people and have the courage to put yourself out there too. That takes a bit. Oh, absolutely. And it's scary. It's terrifying when you find that person or people that you can just 
like lay it open, mm. raw, bare, un, you know, non-airbrushed. Yeah. It is a daily practice of surrender mm. and even a conversation with them. Like I am struggling today to surrender. I find my walls going up and I don't know why, but I need you to be here for, my, for me right now. I need a hug mm. and just to be in your space. So I need you to, you know, just to give me some sense of like supportive words that um, you're in a safe place and you're okay. Mm. Which is really too for me around self-leadership. Like how do you get to lead what you need and communicate your needs to the people around you rather than shutting off from everyone and believing that no one can ever show up for you? That's mm. been a really big journey of like I can give and I can also receive you know? Yeah. It's hard with traditional hierarchical constructs because that's what we're raised to think that it's a hierarchical construct. You know, I remember, uh, whether it's the right or the wrong reason, but I've always said, um, you never complain down. You only complain up from a hierarchical, right? So mm. if you're in a, a certain role, you're a manager, you'd never complain, moan to people subordinate to you because mm. it removes your power frame. It makes you look weak. Mm. is what the construct right whereas if you want to moan you only do it to people above you like your manager right so but it's an interesting construct to think about when you when you're trying to build a really um great culture and ethos and the fact that as a ceo or a leader you don't want to feel like you're isolated you don't want to feel like you're alone but you do <laughs> it's one of the loneliest roles it is the loneliest role <laughs> And then only then would I say, firstly, is it safe to be yourself around your most trusted colleagues? And if you don't feel it's safe, then it may not be. Mm. So firstly, it may not be, especially if you didn't get to hire them or, you know, they aren't necessarily a great fit for the culture or the ethos you are trying to imbue into the organization. But then I guess you put it out to the universe is who can I speak to? Who mm. can I share this with? And it might be a confidant that you have outside of your team or your, or your company mm. in an orthogonal industry, but in the same position, you know, mm. um, but either way you need to find your safe space That's to, to be and be okay in that space to share. Mm. Um, and again, depending on the circumstance and the environment. I feel like this is kind of touching a little bit on toxic positivity too, which is something that I think a lot of young people at times can be confused with. Like mm. as a human, having a human experience, you get to experience the full spectrum of emotions. There aren't bad or good or negative or positive. It's like you are a human being and you experience that full spectrum What's been a really powerful frame for you, if you have one, to experience the full spectrum of, of emotions and not kind of bypass negative or bad ones, but give yourself permission to express all of them, but in a healthy way mm. and in a way that isn't about keeping yourself in a victim space? Mm. I mean, I think for me it's been about really – direct observation so I'll I'll have some great friends um or even people some very trusted people within my team when I used to be chief product officer um where they would you know they would come into the room they'd know something was up they'd be like mm, you seem a bit off today and I would literally say I am struggling I'm on struggle street and I can't see where I'm turning off yet and so and and in that place of those people who were my safe people they usually would say oh Rach I'm so sorry to hear that is there anything I can do to help mm. would be their first response mm. um the outside of you know empathizing with me mm. and it was actually saying to them well if they could do something then yes please help <laughs> but if if it was just that place in time if it was just you know being a wonderful female with my own little cycle uh, then I would say, actually, no, I just think I need to let it pass. Mm. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm struggling right now. But I think if I just keep putting one foot forward and doing the things that I know gives me 
a little bit of joy, like listening to music or mm. painting my nails that night or whatever it might be, then I will get through this. But mm. thank you. Mm. But it gives you the opportunity where you don't have to pretend yeah. so much. Um, you know, there's a degree of removal from those who you can't trust. And you just obviously as a leader, having people having confidence in you as a leader being quite stable is important. Mm. But for those that you can trust, um, and I've, in my experience, it's been okay to actually share those that verbally. Mm. Um, and with the right people, it's it lands well and they respect you more for it as a leader. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And I think in there too, there's a piece on like not not only you, but the person who you've connected with at this level, not feeling like they need to fix it there and then. Mm, yes. And that's really a really powerful insight, I think, because what I notice is that a lot of the time we avoid uncomfortable feelings or we avoid the painful piece or the sad piece or the grief piece or the anger piece. And sometimes actually what I'm hearing is that it's just being with it and knowing at some point you're going to turn off the road anyways yeah, and it will pass. It's, it's almost like it's just human literacy. Mm. it's it's body literacy it's mind literacy it's soul literacy Mm. and what I'm I don't know if it's just because that's the ascension I've got to I've got a lot to ascend Mm. (laughs) to be um you know the best version of self but the level that I've ascended to um means at that sort of higher vibrational energy if you want to call it more sort of you know wishy-washy stuff Mm. you're you find people who are the same energy, right? You find those people and it's in the space of finding those people that you both start teaching each other to be okay Mm. with you where you're at, sit in it, Mm. feel it. Why are you there? Mm. Why does this hurt so much? Am I just tired? Mm. A lot of the time, to be frank, (laughs) it's just because you're tired. Yeah, I think sleep, man, do not get me started on sleep, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I have the luxury or wait, maybe it's just cause that's the commitment I've made. Thanks to my partner. Um, who's just the absolute, an absolute weapon, human performance and, and human potential that I prioritize sleep. Sleep is my number two, three priority, but that's, you know, below like self and kids and mm. we're really important relationships. Um, but bottom line I work my entire life around sleep. Wow. Can we touch on that a little bit? So I feel like that's sometimes people are looking for the answer of like, you know, how do I move through this? Why is this happening? And actually we just need to have a conversation about the fundamentals, oh, which is absolutely. let's go there. Can we just talk just briefly about sleep and what, why it's number three on your list, what you do to create a great routine at night, say, or in the morning and what the impact has been of having great sleep. Mm. Well, firstly, it's getting sleep literacy. Like I keep talking about literacy. That's Mm. a word that keeps coming up. And, you know, I, I purchased an aura sleep ring about two years ago and I've got some incredible insight into how my body reacts when it doesn't get sleep. Mm. Um, or when I'm pushing my body too much or if I'm about to get sick because there's so much around um, not only the duration of sleep but also the quality of sleep. And what's been interesting on this journey for me to realize is we're not born with a sleep switch. That doesn't exist. There are multiple circadian clocks within a body, right? There's the master clock, but there's multiple clocks that if you keep tricking your body into thinking it's daytime, it won't downregulate. It won't allow you to get a good sleep. And so to understand sleep literacy and body literacy enough where you say, all right, the three, two, one principle, three hours prior to sleep, stop eating. Because your body, there's this wonderful little sleep clock in your intestines and your actual digestive system that if it's got lots of food in it it won't trigger your other sleep clocks that it's time for sleep wow. so okay three hours prior to sleep stop eating have a good meal 
but stop eating, you know, you know, for three hours prior. Now, the two is stop working two hours prior to sleep because your body needs to, as a part of your master clock, sort of downregulate, stop being triggered by stress response or anything that might be kind of causing you to have to think quite clearly, cognitive load, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then one hour prior to sleep, turn off electronics because mm. the master clock sees the light and most things have blue light. And even if you've got blue light filters or blue light glasses, depending on the quality of them, they will still let in some blue light. Um, but your body is designed to define blue light being day and then amber or red-ish light being night. That's that's how we were evolved to define day and night cycles. And so if you're on your computer or your laptop or your TV and you're being blasted through your master clock, your, you know, through your pineal gland, through a variety of other parts of your 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 um your body that it's daytime, then your body will be like, nah, I'm good. Let's ready to roll. I've got my mm. second wind. I'm good. Right. So so even just the three, two, one principle can help create a really nice sleep routine to get you into a space where your body is ready to downregulate and fall asleep well. Mm. But there's also a variety of other things that, you know, you you could diagnose what's going on almost by your sleep. So if you start getting up, waking up around 1.30 to 2.30 and you can't get back to sleep, that's usually an adrenal response. Usually there's something going on with your cortisol levels. It usually means you're really stressed. Um, I'm not going to get into the detail, but it's it's a beautifully scientific orchestra mm. that's creating this this melody. And then when you've when you've got these wake up times, it actually means something. So listen, mm. we're not born with this literacy, but it requires us to be taught, mm. which unfortunately we should be done in schools. But I digress. Um, I know you want didn't want to talk about this for very long. The three two one is a great place to start to great to get um, great sleeps and to improve your sleep hygiene. Mm. Um, but it's also trying to be mindful of what is waking you, what time are you being woken up, and then how do you protect the sleep um, in the morning uh, as long as you can and what feels natural to you. And you're just going to make those lifestyle changes to ensure that it, that, it, that it actually prompts good sleep hygiene. Amazing. 321 is such a simple tool to pick up and try on. Like I could pick that up tonight and set some alarms mm. on my phone. Yeah. And give that a go. Yeah. Like, absolutely. And it's the routine, right? It's a new habit. Yeah. So even just a doing bit. a three, two, one, or even focusing on the one, one of the three. True. Yeah. And and layering your habits over time. Mm. Like three hours, if you know, you know, ideally you'd go to bed before 10, but really no later because the lymphatic system starts to clear all the plaques and all the stuff in your brain between about 11 and 2. Mm-hmm. So, again, there's lots of evidence to suggest that trying to prioritize good sleep between those hours is really important for brain health and to try to avoid things like Alzheimer's later on. So there's, oh, a, yeah. there's a whole system that, again, it's called a lymphatic system. You don't learn about it in school or for most you know casual conversations. Yeah. That is the garbage collection for your brain. Wow. So 11 to 2, that is the twilight hour for the lymphatic system. And then, um, you know, so even if you just, you know, stop the digestion so you can try to get to sleep by, mm. in bed by 10, sleep by 10.30, maximizing your lymphatic system between 11 to 2, just those things would probably be a, you know, make a big impact. And, of course, yeah, and that's just stopping eating three hours prior to sleep will help. Wow. This is so simple, obviously, and it's like a low cost, well, no cost, really, (laughs) unless you are working multiple jobs and balancing children, working, you know, I could definitely see that it it would have a cost to some people. Um, I think it's just so important we actually take a look at some of those fundamentals and really see how we can get back to basics and learn those fundamentals that are going to set us up yeah. for a great day. And mental health is a huge um, sacrifice if you don't get sleep. Like there's totally. so much evidence to suggest that if you don't get good quality sleep, your mental health will suffer hands down. Mm. And there's so much evidence to suggest that. And one good night of sleep will literally reset the emotional centers of your brain. That's oh why gosh. when you're having a really, really hard day or, you know, just you're in a sort of depressive or anxiety state and you get a good sleep, how much better you often feel in the morning, mm. 
that's an example of your brain doing what it's supposed to do when it's sleeping. And that is resetting the emotional centers of the brain. Oh, this and like the journey to motherhood. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like two conflicting things. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those early days. Oh my gosh. Everything makes sense now. Oh, you know what? My five o'clock mornings with my son as a baby, I swear, I, I just felt like I was in my own form of hell. Because, yeah. you know, I'm not a morning person yeah. prior to, you know, prior to kids. And so, you know, all you can do is just do your best. That's it. Right. Do what you can within the context and the frame of your current lifestyle. Again, I am more than happy to have a conversation with any mother or father out there who's doing his fair job of raising a young child mm. um, to say, all right, this is our this is our reality. Mm. How do we make the best of what we've got to maximize the chances of our mental and physical health moving forward? Yeah, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing this. This has been really, really, really profound. And and there's been a lot of things we've touched on, I think, that haven't been discussed yet. So I think one final question I'd be keen to hear your insights around is like when you go back to your quarter life crisis, so to speak, or go back to your younger self, what would be a piece of advice that you'd want to share and insight, a learning and unlearning even that would empower you to find greater peace and to unapologetically follow your dreams? Mm. As a part of this last two years, I have reflected a lot and as much as there are many moments in my life that I wish I did not have to go through and there are moments of shame and disgust around the things I've chosen, you know, relationships, those types of decisions around how I treated myself primarily. I know this sounds may sound like a bit of a cop-out, but I have to understand or honor the fact that I had to go through all of that, all of that pain, all of that disappointment, all of that, those tears, everything that I went through and the decisions I made created the space that I'm in now. And we haven't really touched on this, but in my, in my journey to create an artificial intelligence, I think it would be remiss of me to not have had some of these experiences because if I didn't, I would never be, I think, in a place or have the right to imagine or reimagine what an inorganic life form might look like that was actually a partner, you know, for humankind to continue to become the ancestors we want or to, be, you know, to become that. And I, I just have to take my hat off to the universe and to the source because I honestly could never have crafted this journey and never in my, my wildest dreams would I imagine I nearly shot someone, you know, I, I've had, had to say goodbye to, to babies that have not been born for me, that I would feel so misunderstood for so long in my life among, again, many other things, um, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, all that stuff. I would not be who I am without that. And I, and I think that will make me a better person to build products in the future and technology in the future that will hopefully, God willing, change the world for the better because I am who I am and I'm doing it with people like myself who are just decent human beings. Mm. Wow, Rach. That's really deep. Mm. And and I, I take my hat off to other people's experiences. I have no idea what's going on in other people's lives. I do know that it's hard. Life is hard. 
And that's what makes it beautiful. Mm. And I think if you just know that while you might feel alone in the path, that's not unusual, even if you've got lots of people around you. Mm. Find your tribe, find yourself, find, again, that radical self-acceptance that you were born. Someone gave you life knowing you deserved it before you did anything. Mm. You did nothing and something still still believed you deserved life. Mm. So there, there has to be a reason, there has to be a journey for you and if you find the tribe that beats to your heart if you stay open to the right people and places if you know what safe looks like um I think you'll be okay Mm. but it's all for a reason I'd like to think Mm. I think that's a helpful belief powerful wow Rach your courage is so inspiring to really honor your truth and to turn pain and suffering into purpose and meaning and use that to inspire others as well. You share so many gifts in this time together and I'm just so grateful. I'm sure that everyone listening is grateful too. But you're real, you know, like you are this high-performing, innovator, futurist, boss woman, you know, (laughs) that can lead in the most inspiring way and then at the same time be real about your human experience and everything that's brought you to that place and I really admire that in you and I'm just so deeply grateful for you coming on this podcast making space and time between all of your innovation and all of your commitments to come and share your wisdom and insights um If people want to connect with you after listening to this podcast, what's the best way to do that? Oh, good question. Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me here, Gemma. It's, I'm, I'm humbled that you would call me a mentor Mm. or that, um, you know, what I've done and just trying to be true to myself has helped you in some way. So I'm very, very happy to hear that and humbled by that. Um, but you know, you can find me, um, my, my most unmasked life usually lives on Instagram. So you can find me at, at unmasked executive. Um, my, you can, you can also see my ear polished or my, so my, my, what was it? Airbrushed, polished life. Oh yeah. The airbrushed and polished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At Rachel Kelly NZ on Instagram, but I'm not usually not there anymore. Um, that was my old airbrushed life. Um, but you can find me on Instagram. I'm also a public, um, I've got a public page on Facebook as well, which is just uh, at Rachel Kelly NZ. And then you can find me on LinkedIn, Rachel Kelly NZ and Twitter, same handle. Amazing. And I also just want to plug tailored health and performance as well. I know that in this conversation, we've talked about a few things that really relate to like peak performance and potential and optimization. And I'm lucky enough to go along to the mums and bubs class at Taylor <laughs> Health, um, getting me back into moving my body and building an amazing relationship with my ability to be resilient in my physical self. Um, it'd be cool to just hear like at a super high level what's happening with tailored health and performance and if people are interested in optimizing their performance, what tailored health has for them. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, the thing that I always find interesting is is trying to be that whole like business thing where it's like oh tailored health and performance you know we are the the research-backed holistic health hub in Hamilton you know just it sounds fancy but the reality is is we've got some amazing health specialists mm. that genuinely want people to find find their their feet understand their body, understand their mind, mm. um, and have some of these these rough conversations, right, um, to kind of be, be that place, that community where we can start having these conversations, mm. where Taylor Health and Performance is an embodiment of Luke Taylor and myself, and I joined the company after I had experienced this journey 
you know, I had them work on a big executive optimization program as a part of my old role um, at Gallagher and fell in love with their model, their pillar. It wasn't just about movement. It wasn't about fit for the gym. It's about fit for life. Mm. And, and it wasn't just about body. It's about mind. It's about gut. It's about soul. It's about community and lifestyle. And it's then, then it's about movement, right? Mm. And so the philosophy that health is so much more than just muscles or, you know, aerobic fitness, it's actually how do you build a community of people who are there to support you on a journey of better literacy, better body, you know, mind, whatever literacy, and it's a safe place to grow. Mm. And um, that may not be top of line, high level, but I'd like to think it's where it's where soul intersects with the physical world in trying to help people become who they are meant to be and work towards being the healthiest version of them so they can be the best version of them mentally, emotionally, soulfully. Well, it's all interconnected. It is. And that's what I love about what you and Luke are co-creating there. Um, It is so much more than movement and physical. So if you're in Hamilton, definitely come check it out because, yeah, love, love, love the impact and transformation that I've been able to have in there just coming to the mums and bubs class at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday, (laughs) Thursday, Friday. Um, Love it. So, yes, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you so much, Rach, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I hope that you've been able to find a golden nugget, a piece of inspiration, a new tool, a new medicine that you can pick up and try on and support yourself in your self-healing journey. So until next time, we'll talk soon. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in and thanks to our special guest. This is your chance to take a moment for yourself and really reflect on what's landed for you over this episode. Yep, right now. Pull over in the car, stop working, take a minute and write it down and turn that into one actionable goal so that you can integrate and apply what's come to light in this episode into your life. If you're picking up what we're putting down, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button to be the first to hear when the next squeeze of Audible Juice is live in a new app. If you have a topic you'd like to hear more about, please slide into my DMs on Instagram. See you next time. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.